Out of the gates and ready to go. The Thursday edition of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network has arrived. Fast-paced three hours headed your way. If you're watching on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening to this great radio partner, we say thank you. Charlie Arnold in studio. Hello. Filling in for Chad. Is You guys have basically swapped places. Yeah, I mean, if you can't have Chad... You should have Charlie. The ultimate upgrade, Charlie Arnold. Absolutely. And here in Nashville for the first time, I'm going to get your take on Music City. Yes. Uh, coming up later in the show, Chad is going to your city. He's in NYC so now. So we swapped. Yeah. I wonder who got the the winning end of that deal. Who do you think? Well, with the weather coming up this weekend, I don't know the weather in New York. I know the weather coming up here. Not uh, great. Yeah. Chad is benefiting from that. And he but. also is missing the uh, groves of Swifties that are... They... Taking over Took Nashville. Over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as you have experienced, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. A jam-packed show today. Uh, Cynthia Freeland, NFL Network. She will be with us in 20 minutes. Uh, can't wait to get her analytical uh, um, breakdown of the best fits from the NFL draft versus what teams really needed and best player, player available at that time. She'll join us from NFL Network. That's straight ahead. Armando Salguero coming up in hour number two, uh, where the NFL... Uh, workplace, hostile workplace environment accusations have been made by the attorney generals in California and in New York. We'll get Armando's breakdown of that news that came out this morning. Clay Travis will be in studio with us in two hours. And Riley Gaines also is back in studio with us as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Um, so yesterday. Uh-huh. Can I just say yeah, that yeah. I wanted to say yeehaw. Like, I, I felt oh, like yeah. that was going to be my intro to say yeehaw. So I'm happy you said it first. <laughs> we'll, we'll cheer some yeehaw tomorrow at the uh, at the end of the going into the weekend. Uh, yesterday, I, I said with Alabama baseball, with the Ohio and the Gaming Commission, they removed any sort of ability to bet on Alabama baseball. And it raised flags based on something that happened, an irregularity that happened in the first game of a three-game set against LSU last Friday. Mm -hmm. LSU, number one in the country. Alabama sucks this year. They made a pitching change very close to the start of the game, and there was something that flagged whatever went down. And I said, it doesn't necessarily mean it was nefarious on Alabama's part. Let's take a step back and wait. Well, now we know based on one plus one equals two because Brad Bohannon, who no one's ever heard of, uh, as the head, Inclu- head, head, coach, me. head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. He's been relieved of his duties. He's been fired uh, effective immediately as Alabama comes to Tennessee. They're in Nashville for the first game tonight as they face number five Vanderbilt in town. And the director of athletics, Greg Byrne, released this statement uh, announcing that he's initiated the termination process for Coach Bohannon for, among other things, violating the standards, duties, and responsibilities expected of university employees. Bohannon has been relieved of all duties, and Jason Jackson will serve as the interim head coach. There will be no further comment at this time pending an ongoing review. Greg Sankey, late last night, the commissioner of the SEC, acknowledged that they were looking into this. The NCAA is looking into this, and... From what has been reported over the last hour, it is Bohannon. It's not other players or anyone else within the team that is alleged to have had anything going on behind the scenes with this, which for which we honestly don't have details here. But the gambling situation, as tweeted by Kendall Rogers, 
says that it's not believed to have any players on the Tides roster involved in this. But this continues what has been, tongue-in-cheek, a banner year for Alabama athletics. And at some point, Greg Byrne, who puts out a monthly email uh, blast to Crimson Tide fans, one, we were in Tuscaloosa a couple of years ago, and I bought the tickets for all of us to go in. So I get this email now. Okay. It's like Lucky spam. You. It's called Burn Notice. And Greg Byrne is, is on notice now. He should be, based on what we've seen. And, I mean, perception is reality within the athletic department right now. Someone's got to step up and lead. And I don't see much leadership week after week with the Crimson Tide program. Jermaine Burton. Football wide receiver took a swing at a, at a woman while she stormed the field after Alabama lost to Tennessee last October. And Nick Saban at the time said that Burton felt scared. Again, that's strike one. Brandon Miller and Nate Oates and the whole basketball saga, Charlie, uh, brought, brought a gun to the scene where a 23-year-old single mother was murdered and Nate Oates and the administration failed miserably in this. They were winning at a high clip. They were the number one team of the country, number one overall seed. Brandon Miller was wrong place, wrong time. Freshman defensive back Tony Mitchell, Nick Saban, and I don't find it any coincidence, said that he didn't think there was wrong place, wrong time. Whenever mm -hmm. Tony Mitchell was pulled over, a handgun was in the console, loaded. Don't know if it was his or the passenger's. Uh, a substantial amount of marijuana, and $7,000 in cash and scales were in the vehicle. He's arrested. He's been suspended indefinitely by the Alabama football program. Uh, another member of the AD's office was arrested for domestic assault recently. Henry Ruggs is back in the headlines, former Crimson Tide wide receiver. Of course, he, he is going to plead guilty to DUI and one count of manslaughter stemming from the 2021 accident and the wreck that killed a woman uh, where he was driving 156 miles per hour. He was so drunk, it was two times the legal limit in Las Vegas. He's been on house arrest since then, and next Wednesday he will plead guilty for crashing into the Toyota RAV4 that trapped the woman and her dog inside and they burned to death. And now Brad Bohannon has been fired following what's been nearly a week of coverage surrounding multiple states starting with Ohio, but now multiple states, pulling any opportunity to place a bet on Alabama baseball because of the fear that there is inside information and gambling issues within the program. And this morning they fire their, their head coach, which drums up even more speculation about what's going on behind the scenes. And all the while... Greg Byrne continues to release statements after all of these different incidents. Not every one that I listed, but many of them. And at some point, I mean, coaches get fired or they get penalized by the NCAA for lack of institutional control. That's how I view this now. Because it is check the box after check the box of perception being reality that no one's actually leading the athletic department at the University of Alabama. Well, you know, it seems to me like Alabama athletics have been put on such a pedestal for such a long time. Oh, yeah. And that being on that pedestal, it's almost like you can get away with anything. 
As long as you win. Exactly. As long as you win, that's all that really matters, especially in a place like Tuscaloosa where there's not really much else going on. Uh, people love Alabama. That's what they stand behind. That's how it has been for decades after decades after decades. It's a generational type of thing. So I think that there is kind of a sense of security in all of that where you can step over the line and not have any repercussions. But now that things are starting to come to light, there's a little bit more of a microscope on Alabama in their athletic uh, department. And I think that we're seeing that once that microscope is on you and then these mistakes are being repeated time after time in different yeah. in different areas, different elements. And different scales of exactly. issues. And, and now it's hard to really ask people to look the other way. And it's starting to earn them a reputation of not following the rules and feeling feeling like they are above the law. And, you know, especially now with things like social media, uh, it's it's easier to monitor the activities of what people are doing. Absolutely. And I think that now Alabama is forced to really reconcile with what's happening there. And they're going to have to take things much more seriously because people are now paying much more attention to them. Save, and it's not for all. It's not for good things either. At this Saban point. leads behind the scenes. Yes. Right. And he's the goat. He's the greatest coach. But up top, it is Greg Byrne. And at some point, you have to look to the leadership to get things back on track. And the litany of issues that we've seen there, despite their success, causes me to point and say, hey, from the top down, this is lack of institutional control within the athletic department, regardless of if he knew or didn't know and found out and now is making uh, the, the move with Bohannon being out. This is just another bad look on a list of problems that we continue to talk about here at Outkick and elsewhere that are headlines not for winning championships, but for doing things off the field, off the gridiron, off the diamond, off the court that lead us back to statements, not statements for titles, but statements from Greg Byrne. And at some point, he's got to answer for all the statements he's been listing with, with this. I have and a question I, for you. I wonder you. where it comes down and when he actually has to take ownership of that. So my question for you is uh, because there have been so many instances of misdoings going, uh, you know, maybe not being attended to properly, yeah. uh, you know, you know, with their basketball team this year, people were left wondering, you know, why is this kid still playing? What's going on? You know, why haven't they addressed this uh, in the way that you would imagine that they would for something so serious? Do you think that Brad Bohannon was more of just a, we're going to use this as a way to show people that we're paying attention and that we do care that things are happening here and or we are addressing them immediately? Or do you think that he was actually involved in something that shouldn't have been happening? Well, I, I think he absolutely is involved in this because I optically, from a PR stance, you, I mean, we were asking more questions but we didn't really know much of the answers other than the fact that Ohio had mo removed them. Mm -hmm. um, Massachusetts was another state that did this. By firing him when they did, they've added to it. So if he's not involved in it and he just sucks as a coach and this is a reason to get him out you know, for, yeah. for not overseeing this, it's not the time to do it, even though that you're – you're looking for, you know, it, no matter what the buyout might be, that's not the reason. Okay. They're pointing to this and saying, this is starts with him and it ends with him based on the reporting that's gone on. But we really don't know that much because of the, the digging that reporters can do versus what will have to come out in this report. And because it's a ongoing investigation, nothing's going to come out until that's closed. And 
it's not like you can bet college baseball like you bet Major League Baseball. You can no. bet the money line. And when money pours in randomly, it's easier to flag that. Than right, right. A run there's, a, there's, line far, or, there's far less bets coming in. No doubt. Uh, easier to, to see what's happening there. And this is a huge story just from the, the gaming industry aspect. You've got uh, companies like FanDuel, DraftKings, and others, uh, several others, that are partners with the NFL that will immediately turn in any irregularity for accounts that they're monitoring on behalf of the league as a part of the agreement to be a sponsor of them. And if a player's on a team bus, if they're in a hotel on a road trip and they're betting on the NFL, if they're betting period, they're turning that into the league. And the NFLPA sent out a memo to agents to remind players about this. Um, the, the sports betting and wagering and app industry is a mega haul for anyone involved. And what they don't want is to be cut off because of insider gambling and Absolutely the, and the accu accusation that games are fixed in any mm. way. So they're going to use the, any opportunity as an example to show that they're on the up and up, just like, at least on the surface level, these leagues want to believe that everything's happening on the up and up and they're still yeah. getting paid to do so. And that's just one more mark now in Alabama's record for the year. That's so it. That's it. They're, they're stacking them up, it seems. So uh, Barstool sold to Penn Entertainment, speaking of gaming and so I, I'm torn on this Ben Mintz Mincy uh, wake up with Mincy he mm -hmm. has been fired by Penn for uh, the uh, show where he was reading and rapping lyrics and he drops the the n-word and Portnoy had one of his emergency press conferences yesterday where he details that he went to bat for Mincy he did not want to have him fired, uh, Big Cat and others were also going to his defense. Mm -hmm. And Portnoy says it doesn't really matter what I tried to do because they were going to they 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 did what they did because of fear of government retaliation and restrictions that could be put on Penn Entertainment moving forward if they didn't make a move and make an example of mm -hmm. Mintz in this case. On one hand, and Portnoy's admitted this too, he sold out. He sold the company. He doesn't have, he's, he's an employee in many ways to Penn Entertainment. But the cachet that he brings and the pull from the Barstool audience. Oh, absolutely. That he brings. He has, is Barstool. Has dropped the Penn uh, Entertainment stock by what, 13, 14% as of this morning? Yeah. Uh, we will see more of that. But. Fireable offense, no. And, and, and I'm basing that off of just the video of Mincy reading these lyrics. And you can tell when he says it, there's a hesitation and a stammering that follows where he didn't really want to say it, but he was, again... Yeah, I, you could tell he was I don't think probably he was intentional. At, that, at that second realized, oh my gosh, what did I just say? Don't think it was intentional. I, I, I don't... I, he can be held accountable for it without losing his job. And that's, in essence, what Portnoy relayed in his in his statement but also said like um whenever we sold we agreed that these things could not happen anymore we knew that they these things could not happen anymore well one did and now you see the repercussions of that to a, a level that i don't agree with but a level that 
Penn Entertainment feels like they had to do. Otherwise, they were going to be regulated more than what they're regulated now. Yeah, but if you look at the world in general and, and who gets in trouble for what, I mean, Jonathan, this is really the direction we've seen everyone and everything moving in. Yeah. There's zero room for error anymore. You make one small mistake, you get canceled. We see that time and time again. Uh, I think it's clear that Mincy had no malice in what he was saying. He was simply singing a lyric in a song that's very popular. It was the Bone Thugs and Harmony first of the month song. Uh, and I think that a lot of people would admit to themselves if they were singing alone in their car, they would not be censoring themselves. They probably would say every single word of every lyric out loud, and they don't mean anything by it. But because he was on camera and it was broadcast to a large audience, uh, even with no malice, mm -hmm. uh, because it was caught on camera, it now means something much different. And they're using him uh, as, you know, I, whether it's a reason, I guess an excuse to just show the world, the direction that Barstool wants to move in, be a little bit more PC, or Penn has already made the argument that we can't have any more slip-ups uh, because they've had, and Barstool pushes the envelope a lot, but that's what they're known for. That's and why that's people, why they bought them. That, and that's why people like Barstool. Uh, I personally do not think this was a reason to get fired, but I also sadly understand this is the way we're moving in, and there is little room for error, and until we do something about the the grander scheme of this whole phenomenon of cancel culture. Uh, this is the direction we're going to continue to go down, and we're going to see a lot more of this, I'm sure. So, but, but the fear would be that state governments would pull the gambling licenses because of something said on the Barstool show. And, and that's another thing Portnoy brought up. He's like, we're already fighting uphill because it's Barstool involved, and there are people that absolutely, and he, you know, effing hate him, that... <sighs> You You're know, not going to say it? Yeah, well. I Are you mean, scared of getting fired? No, I'm not scared of getting <laughs> fired. I'm just scared of Colin uh, not hitting the dump button <laughs> on, on uh, the regular basis. Uh, I'll save, I'll save the, uh, the, 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 the F-bomb drop for me, Charlie, for, uh, for later when Clay's on. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, the, the, but the aspect that, that they're going to be regulated even more is alarming to me, that they would use this. Where I mean, he, he turns white as a ghost. Um, Portnoy said, he's like, look, it, it's a Ron Burgundy moment. And if you don't see it, you're like, okay, sure. But when you see the clip, you do realize, like, as dumb as it was, he does say, oh, you can almost have the look, oh, my God, like, what just happened here? And then he keeps going, right? Um, well, but, yeah, at but, that point, what do you do? But there's also the argument. That, that's also what Barstool's known for. Oh, my God, what just happened here? We just keep going. Yeah, and he didn't mean anything by it. And I also think that if, I mean, Bone Thugs, as we know, I'm a huge hip-hop fan. I don't know what your music tastes are. Bone Thugs it was definitely on In My Room in 1999. Absolutely. Yes. I, it's And it's one of those things, I don't think when Bone Thugs was writing the song, they ever thought, oh my goodness, if a white <laughs> person ever says these lyrics out loud, God forbid. I'm. It's a work of art. It's like, for example, if I were to take a book and then I were to remove excerpts from your book and then republish it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that wouldn't be right. It, it, this is how the art was put out and how it should remain. And I don't think there was any idea in Bone Thug's mind that it should not be recited the exact way that they wrote it, uh, regardless of who's singing it. So I'm, but, but also, like, if Penn is going to sit there and say, like, hey, this can't happen. Uh, Barstool can't do this. Um, we can't just move on and he can't just apologize. I mean, at, at most, 
just apologize. And they didn't even give him the opportunity. Right. And and I think that's that's the troubling issue here is if they're not going to let Barstool do this, who's actually going to live up to the we can say and do what we want like to, in totality. I mean in in some ways, you know, everyone's regulated and if you sell out, you're selling that right. And and Dave admitted that. He had to double back this morning with another video and he's like, "Oh, you're calling me a sellout." Yes, he's like, yes, I'm a sellout. Yeah, well, he's a very rich sellout. And he also pointed to that, too. <laughs> you know, it's and, the and, name of the game right now. But uh, one more final point. If Portnoy wanted to double down and just say, like, hey, he's staying and, and blow it out of the water. And he said, like, if we didn't sell and they were trying to do this to us, we would blow it, would blow it up to the, you know, to the rafters on what the gaming commissions were trying to do mm -hmm. to us what the government was trying to do to us. But Penn's not even willing to even toe that line whatsoever. But they're allowing him to admit it. It is a good point, though, because if stock was able to drop this much just because of Mincy yeah. being let go, and we realize, you know, what a sellout Barstool Sports has become yes. on behalf of his parent company, Penn Gaming, then what would happen if Dave Portnoy said, okay, well, that's it. If, if, he's, if he goes, I go. And then there is no more barstool because without Dave Portnoy, there is no barstool. So then what would happen? I, I have to imagine he has a lot more power than, you know, he's even admitting well, that he has. He could have just said, no, no, no way, this is not happening. And then what? What's Penn Gaming going to do? Okay, you can walk. And then guess what? The company just disappears and no one gives a crap about barstool anymore. Penn Entertainment serves the gaming commissions. They're serving the state governments. Um Portnoy's serving whatever's contractually is in that deal with Penn Entertainment. So he's, he's having to serve that same uh, and, and tow that same line. Oh my in gosh. This. That's the way I take this, and it's awful. But it's horrible. It ends up being something we never thought we'd see at Barstool. Uh, coming up, switching gears, Cynthia Freeland will join us. Always a great chat as we dive into the numbers, the analytics of the NFL draft. Who ended up with the best value based on who they selected and when? That's straight ahead on Hot Mike. Charlie Arnold in for Chad Withrow today. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Pleased to be joined by Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network. Fresh off what was a long weekend of NFL draft coverage, NFL Plus and more. Cynthia, I, I, I did catch some of it through uh, YouTube and your NFL Plus uh, coverage. Really good. And I don't know how you're pulling all the details of the six-round picks. Yeah, uh, it was a lot of prep. Um, fear. I think the answer is fear. <laughs> I was to get, get caught not knowing anything. So um, a lot of prep and a lot of fear. So I think that's basically it. And not a lot of bathroom breaks because when the on, on our platforms, we did not have like a, a set that we could send it to. And we had like two minute bathroom breaks. So I would like time myself and like run. It was it was wild. <laughs> no six round pick discussion today. Um, I, I want to get your analytically though. We last time you joined us, we were going through best fits versus mock drafts. As things played out, which team got the most versus what they needed in the first round? Well, 
The Texans did. I mean, to add both a starting quarterback and a starting top tier, maybe the safest player in the draft at the pass rushing position with Will Anderson Jr., they may have mortgaged a lot for it and sacrificed next season's picks early. However, I kind of love the move. And then, and then they actually added, you know, wide receiver. And I love the idea of having a quarterback and their center come in at the same time, because if you think about how that bond is formed, they actually grow together and it shortens the learning curve for both of them. If the center's not used to a different quarterback or potentially the quarterback's not used to a different center. So they will have a nice learning curve together. It was a very that was top to bottom, the most draft. Now, this doesn't include free agency when I say the biggest uptick just from the draft. Again, doesn't include free agency. Uptick meaning like uh, win-loss totals as well, like yeah, in so, what you're doing? Yeah, I tried to create this metric called win share, which is essentially a way to approximate something like war in baseball or per and at the NBA, like, you know, the player efficiency ratings. Like what you're trying to do is you're trying to say, what is this player contributing? What is the individual? What is the 111th, which it's never 111th, right, at the quarterback position? How many wins are they responsible for in a season? So plus 3.3 was kind of the approximation for the Texans, meaning they got a whole bunch of starters. If you want to put it in plain English, they got guys who are going to start. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to win. I do think that Bryce Young, in terms of the quarterbacks who will draft, who were drafted, will have the most wins, which is how many people measure quarterbacks rightfully so but cj stroud adds the most to the texans where would the colts be um charlie's a, a colts fan with anthony richardson yeah, what are, praying praying this is the season what, to turn things around what are your measurements telling us about the indianapolis colts in 2023 yeah again remember it this doesn't include free agency i love the move to take Anthony Richardson, obviously there's a really good scheme fit there between he and his head coach, Shane Steichen, who has a lot of experience doing dual threat plays, creating the right dual threat looks, situations, and theoretically teaching, which is to me some underrated aspect. We don't really talk enough about like how good a coach is at teaching someone mm -hmm. what they're supposed to learn when they get to the next level. So we've seen Shane Steichen has done it with Jalen Hurts. So the fit is awesome. This is a team that has a lot of nice pieces to love. The, the problem that the Colts have is the problem any other AFC team has, that the AFC is a pretty big nightmare. And it's really hard to project anyone from the AFC with a changed quarterback going to the playoffs because let's name all the good quarterbacks. Other than Jalen Hurts, they all seem to reside in the AFC. Yes, that's a very good point. Uh, but when you look at the combination of Coach Steichen and Anthony Richardson and given how good Steichen was with Jalen Hurts and the upsides that Richardson has, the fact that he is dual threat, you think that he could be a solid candidate for Offensive Rookie of the Year with these two things combined? Absolutely. I think, look, the the interesting part here is that the Colts have some, some the, the word I'm going to use is, is some work to do, meaning this is again, their schedule. It's the schedule getting released next week. I don't know it. I do know who the opponents are. Everyone knows who the opponents are and where they're playing, but that's a tough schedule. So the hard part here is that how much of that is going to be like one of the ways that you project for success is how likely play action passing is to work. And with Jonathan Taylor back in the mix, the idea of like, maybe it's better to I would say if you're looking for like an award that the Colts are more likely to win, maybe it's like Jonathan Taylor, like comeback player of hmm. the year, or maybe we'll take even that. something. 
Yeah, like something more along those lines, just because in order for play action to work, you got to get the run game to work, which means Jonathan Taylor, who we know is very capable of handling a huge workload, he'll probably look a lot lot of volume for him next season. (laughs) Cynthia Freeland with us, NFL Network analytics expert. Um, So you sat down with Ryan Poles, recent recently new general manager in Chicago. And for the first time, he has a boatload of money to work with in free agency. He's got picks now where he can build around his quarterback and Justin Fields. They go with Darnell Wright, who just based on your coverage, Cynthia, you said top to bottom, this was the best value and the best fit for any individual and team need. Yeah. Well, first of all, they got a very smart haul, not only from moving out of the first slot with Carolina. I think they sold it pretty close to the top of the market there. I don't think had you, I think they like when we didn't know who was better between CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, that meant that like the value of number one and giving yourself the option to pick up like time in order to figure that out, like there was a value to that. So while I think it was a good pick for the Panthers to move up, I still think it was really smart of the bears to get all of that surplus value. And then they doubled down again when it looked like Jalen Carter, who looked like, I actually don't know if there is a better fit for Jalen Carter than Philadelphia, but to move up that one pick, the Bears got surplus value again. And then they got Darnell Wright, who he fits all of their prototypes. And remember, Ryan Poles at Boston College was an offensive lineman. So he probably has a pretty defined set of philosophies around what he's looking for in tackle prospects. And this guy is like a massive human being. He's like flat-footed. His feet are like, I don't know, they're like the size of boats. And, he, <laughs> you know, in pass rush, he allowed exactly zero sacks last season. And then the scheme fit is really good, too, because Tennessee played that spread offense, the spread offense that everyone's playing in the NFL and Justin Fields will really need. So the scheme fit means that there'll be a shortened learning curve for Darnell as well. So the question will be, is he going to play on the left or the right? likely the right but again they'll they'll figure that's that's a problem for like you know coach and it's a good problem to have not a bad problem what was the what was the vibe with polls what did, what did you take away from him i'm sure it's not the first time you've met him but is he bringing everything from kansas city and trying to do it there or is it a, a different philosophy mixed in well i do have a like i went to college with ryan polls so i've known him for 20 years oh go. wow and seeing like yeah, yeah like no, i mean 10 years because we're super young <laughs> Um, but you know, I've known him for just a little while and, uh, basically it's nice to see him. Like he's, he is the same person, but like an adult version, meaning, you know, he, he's super smart, super thoughtful, really authentic and very like when we were sitting there, we watched some film together. It's going to be awesome to see this. I'm very excited for it to come out, but the love he has for each individual player, he'd sit there and he's like, this is how I'm going to use this guy on teams like this. and, And, and not even like hesitate to be like, like, that's important for our team. That's one of the tenets. That's the philosophy. So you'll see it with Brett Beach. Brett Beach not, isn't a liar either. Like they're not going to give away their hand prior to the draft, but I believe the things both he and Brett Beach, who he basically learned from say, meaning, you know, if they say like we had a cluster of players and this is the one that we thought was the best and we didn't want to drop down any further because we knew there were other teams that were offensive tackle needy. So we thought, Hey, wow, we get an extra pick for one. And they're very honest in the time when it should be, meaning after it happened. They they don't need to tell us beforehand. In fact, I'm like, don't give it away. Just <laughs> beforehand. Cynthia, uh, there are some teams when they make a pick, it's automatic. You're like, oh, this is going to be a great fit. 
Dalton Kincaid in Buffalo, where they were not able to run a lot of two tight sets. Right. What will he bring in the numbers that you've seen and analyzed to that offense yeah. with Josh Allen? Greater effectiveness on play action, which is an interesting area. Again, they added Latavius Murray during the draft. They knew they were going to add Latavius Murray so that they were able to pivot off taking a late round running back. So that was kind of a cool little unfolding of, of information that happened. But Dalton Kincaid, he has not, he's nothing like Cole Beasley. But if you re rewind a couple of years back, when on third down, those checkdowns were there to Cole Beasley, that's kind of what Kincaid will be able to do, meaning that's not going to be forced to Gabe Davis on the super long pass that is, and Gabe Davis is double covered. No, it'll be more trust in that checkdown, be it to DK number one, Dawson Knox, or DK number two in Dalton Kincaid. So uh, the reality is, is it'll be versatility kind of in that trafficked area of the field between the hashes closer to the line of scrimmage. And further, if you look at kind of the, the interesting part, the Bills actually led on first down, or third down percentage last season. And you're not going to be able to duplicate that type of success with the same idea and philosophy. So it's going to be a little bit different, but in a good way. So now you're giving Ken, Ken, uh, Ken Dorsey a lot more weapons to play with that will be effective, but giving him a reliable check down both in either DK. Final <laughs> thing for you, uh, the, the, the Will Levis drop. You know, reports are teams are trying to move back into the first round with KC. KC didn't trade. But uh, Tennessee trades up to 33 to draft him on day two. Fit, offensive system, and the fact he's going to sit behind Tannehill means what for him? A lot of good things. Look, I, I think that the Will Levis roller coaster was too much in either direction, meaning there was like too much hate to begin with, with the, oh, he's a turnover machine, blah, 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 blah. And then too much love. Oh, he's going to go second or first overall, right? We, it, was, it was very emotional, this situation. But I think if you go back to the thing that actually matters, which is his film, you see a guy with a cannon arm, like who in a game threw 60 miles an hour. That doesn't happen very often. Most guys throw in the low 50s. Josh Allen throws 60, but it's rare to see a guy with that kind of arm. He has some, some things to learn at the next level, which to be honest, all of these quarterbacks do Kentucky, what, what he had to deal with in terms of O-line and potential playmakers around him, wasn't the same caliber as some of these guys from like Ohio state who were also first rounders. I know Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't play more than three games a season, but the level of wide receiver there, I mean, Look at how many like offensive rookie of the year last season. Like we're good here. Point being like, you know, he, he has some things to learn and this gives him the best opportunity to do so. It's also really interesting. Like their quarterback room is so different. All three are very, very different prototypes, which could, I think the strategy here is to like figure out like who, what is our identity going forward? And let's take the three best pieces we could possibly find to, to figure out how that, maps more perfectly. I, I think it's a great, if I'm Will Levis, I understand that was probably not the Thursday or, you know, Thursday I had envisioned, but let's like, life is very long. Like, let's talk about like what will be best for him going forward. Not necessarily like just that one moment of like, you know, the commissioner saying your name. Cynthia Freeland has been our guest on hot mic across the outkick network. Always great to, to visit with you. Hopefully we can do it again soon. Absolutely. Anytime. And good to meet you, Charlie. Nice to meet you. Hope to, uh, hope to see you again as well. Cynthia Freeland there. Uh, fantastic with the numbers. I, and her, I'm in awe. I, numbers breaks, are not my thing. So I would be horrible at her job. So I'm yeah, so thankful that same. she's 
you know, available to us and as smart as she is. I'm glad she brought up the schedule release. That's next week. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, that'll they've, be exciting. They've made another event of the there's NFL so, offseason. There's so many different events. Uh, there is no offseason. There's no offseason for anything anymore. And it pulls a number. Yeah. It pulls ratings all the time. Absolutely. Well, sometimes. I feel like there's a lot of, well, we'll just look at one, for example, okay. the NBA All-Star game that does not pull the oh, numbers. No, no. But <laughs> I, I'm saying just NFL-wise. Oh, NFL-wise, yeah. People love the NFL. But you, create the, an event people will watch but it. i think the reason the nfl does so well is because every week during the season is important yes you know whereas in the nba it's like ah, i could i could skip oh, this stretch of 10 matter. games and it won't even matter i i find you can skip out on most of you know the middle chunk of the nba season and it doesn't make a difference you want to see how they start you want to see how they end but in the nfl because there's so few games you got to watch every little moment so uh it makes it more eventful and impactful totally agree and they're trying to do this mid-season tournament now in the nba with the new cba i think that starts in 2024 but again like the the winning teams or whatever get 500 grand each or something it's all convoluted to make you watch but i don't know if people will uh, because it's going to help playoff seeding but your playoffs are still, I mean, technically, what, four months away? Yeah. It's a long season well, and, for it not to and matter. the direction that we're going in right now with the time management in the NBA and the players oh, not even yeah. playing most of the games and you having no real reason to tune in. I don't see why they would be excited about having more on their plates when they don't even want to play the games that they're allotted right now. And now you have to, the, the change is you have to play in 65 of the 82 to qualify for any postseason award. <laughs> I actually, I like that. There will, like be, there will be players that Although, will only play in 65. It'll be 65, but then there's going to be also other players who say, you know what, scratch that. Yeah. I don't really need the award. I've already won <laughs> it. It's been done. Give it to somebody else. Embiid's got his, right? It's all <laughs> yeah, good now. exactly. Coming up, uh, so the, the one feature of the NFL draft, the NFL is doing away with. We'll, we'll tell you what that is. Plus, uh, the Angels are trying to monitor questions that are being asked to their coaching staff uh, beyond their manager that details on that straight ahead on hot mic across the outkick network hot mic with hutton and withrow rolls on you can watch us on youtube Streaming live at OutKick.com. But on YouTube, if you just search out OutKick, we hope you'll subscribe. Uh, Many of you have over the last month, month and a half. For that, we say thank you. And if you've been a day one season ticket holder with us, uh, props. Um, Thumbs up to you. And you can give us a thumbs up and hopefully share the show. And you can see every show across the OutKick network live or on demand daily. And weekend clips as well. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Charlie Arnault in for Chad Withrow. So the NFL, they're doing away, according to Schefter, with moving forward, no mm-hmm. more indoor NFL drafts. They want it to be Coachella. They want it to be Bonnaroo. <laughs> it was Bonnaroo here in Nashville in 2019. And Schefter even acknowledges this, saying that is what the NFL wants to bring. 600,000 fans were downtown over the Thursday, Friday, Saturday of the NFL draft. 2020 happened with COVID. All of that was virtual, and they've been ramping back up. But they want cities to bid on this. Cleveland certainly did. Las Vegas built the Dome, and they've hosted it. They had 300,000 
Kansas City had 312,000. It's the second largest attended NFL draft. But moving forward, it's in Detroit. From there, the thought is it's going to Green Bay. But I'm thinking the cold weather, who knows, you know, that this time of year. It was cold, you know, unusually cold here in Nashville last week. Um, I'm thinking it could get indoors pretty quickly in Detroit or in Green Bay, but they're saying no more indoor drafts because they want the festival atmosphere. Yeah, I think that's I think it's smart from the perspective of the NFL because it's an event that you can bring the whole family to. There's something a little something for everybody. You know, like when you look at the NFL experiences and the activities surrounding Super Bowls yep. in the different cities, uh, it's more of an, a family-friendly event. You know, it's not just football-focused. There's... Uh, activities for the kids, there's face painting, there's food, you know, so it's it's fun. It's more of a, a overarching event. Uh, so I really like it, but I think you need to bring it to cities that satisfy uh, what people are also looking for. And that's, you know, enjoying themselves outside without freezing to death or yeah, have having have the, their kids complain. Gotta uh, have the weather. Yeah. And you want, you want also cities where there's surrounding things to do, you know, like in, um, Kansas City, there's all the great barbecue restaurants. You could tie it all in. You could go to a sporting event. Uh, there's lots of nice parks. I mean, I lived in Kansas City for a few years, so I could I could definitely say that's a smart place to have it. But Green Bay, I have also been to, and not so much happening there. And it's not nothing is fun when you're cold. We'll just be very honest about that. Yes, and it, or in the rain. Cleveland and Chicago had rain, and there was a little rain in Kansas City too, which dampened things. But if you want the 600,000, you have to have the pristine conditions. Absolutely. And the, and the downtown footprint, too. Yeah. We, you know, we, you've got Broadway, which is just swarmed from first mm -hmm. all the way to sixth with nothing but NFL fans from all over the place. Yeah, it's nice when you have a very walkable city and yeah. things are easy to access. Like Indianapolis, my hometown, completely re revamped their entire downtown area for the 2012 Super Bowl. And that made it volumes better than it would have been otherwise and yes. now has made it a city where a lot of sporting events are looking to take place you know the final four things of that nature so i think uh city's gotta put the money and build that infrastructure and make it a and just all-around good experience if the nfl wants to keep it very festival like the angels the anaheim angels are trying to keep negative questions away from their assistant coaches now they are saying that phil nevin their manager will take all negative questions, two <laughs> negative questions. But they're pre-screening topics for reporters who want to discuss things like, for instance, with the hitting coach about Rendon, who's doing everything but hitting with power and how he's going to get that back. That goes to Phil Nevin now. You don't get the one-on-one -on -one with the hitting coach. That's BS. And, I mean, as a, a media core, once you're told not to ask something, that's all you're going to ask. Yeah. I mean, what's the point of even having the media? We might as well just have the team stand up and tell us everything they want us to know yeah. and then not even take questions. I mean, at this point, what's what's the point of it all? But also they've got Trout. They've got Otani. I'm, like, I'm thinking of all these superstars. And I mean, if I'm the media there, I don't, I don't give a damn about talking to Phil Nevin. I want to talk to those guys. Just let me in the, lo let me in the, in the clubhouse. I'll go talk to the players and they'll answer the questions. Uh, instead of the hitting coach. Uh, you're wanting to do a feature on a player uh, who's not playing awful, but is not hitting for power like he used to. You can go to the player all you want to. At some point, you go to the coach. Yeah, I, I just, I, this is, it completely defeats the purpose of having that media availability and being able to talk to the players that you're interested in. 
Yeah, I don't care about hearing from the coach. No, You're not going to provide the same feedback that the actual player would. I also think if I was a player, and this maybe is just me because I'm not used to fielding yeah. negative questions on a regular basis, but I would use it as an opportunity to make fun of the reporters and media members that I didn't like. Like they would ask me a question, I would just shove it right back in their face because I feel like that could be my shtick. I think this is Phil Nevin's doing. Yeah. The Angels have sucked, and there have been plenty of negative questions asked of them. Now they've got Nevin, and all the questions have to go through him instead of his staff. I think that's where it starts. Uh, We'll start the next hour with Charlie giving her take on Music City, plus Uh RG3's big take on the surprise team that's next.